Now, some of you might be thinking, why doesn't God just get rid of it? Why try to manage it? Well, that goes back to one of the central points in the book is God is working for human partners. Welcome to the Focus on the Family broadcast, helping you and your family thrive in Christ. John, I'm really pleased to have Tim back again. We covered some good ground last mm-hmm. time, asked some tough questions. Right. Tim's a professor, so he's used to those collegiate style questions, you know, professor, tell me the truth. Mm. And I think we hit that last time. We did discuss the common dilemma that our world experiences, all the pain that's going on. Probably the most common question is, if God is real, then why do children suffer? Right? That That, that usually pops up as number one. And I think Tim did an excellent job last time kind of explaining uh, God will work miracles. God will work through common grace is what he talked about in terms of invention Uh, machines that detect cancer. I mean, the way that he works through human beings to innovate. And then sometimes he's silent. And it's beyond us to understand when God does what and how. Mm -hmm. And that's really the the bottom line. Do we have faith in Christ and faith in the Father simply because he is? And that is the question. Yeah. And if you missed any of that first part, uh, stop by our YouTube channel or get our app. Um, Stop by the show notes. There's a lot of detail in that first portion of the conversation. And Dr. Tim Muehlhoff is professor of communication at Biola University, and he also is a speaker with Biola Center for uh, Marriage and Relationships. And uh, he teaches conflict resolution and family communication, a lot of practical topics. And uh, he's written a book called Eyes to See, Recognizing God's Common Grace in an Unsettled World. Uh, This is an excellent resource. We'll encourage you to stop by the website to get a copy of it. Uh, or give us a call. And again, the details are in the show notes or call 800, the letter A in the word family. Tim, welcome back to Focus. Boy, it's great to be with you guys. Let's come back for listeners and viewers that didn't catch last time and just the recap on common grace. Let's just stay with that theme of common grace. What's the definition again? So the psalmist says in Psalm 145, God is good to all. And sometimes we forget that, but The all part is what common grace is about. God isn't just good to people who love him. He's good to everybody. uh, Rain falls on the just and the unjust so that we can have crops. We can have agriculture. He gives medical discoveries to non-Christian scientists as much as Christian scientists. He knows what's happening in this world. And he is giving us gifts 24-7 to help us deal with a fallen world that in no way means he can't act miraculously. And we get reports all over the world of God doing exactly that. He's not limited to common grace, but we've kind of set common grace aside and don't give it its due. And the book was just simply a way of introducing readers to common grace and then giving illustrations that we can share with our coworkers, family members, children, my students, because we know illustrations are what people remember. So the book is chock full of these amazing illustrations of inventions and communication techniques that were developed by non-Christians that we use today, and it helps us resolve conflict. You know, Tim, I love numbers. I I didn't do that well in statistics in business school, (laughs) but I enjoyed it. But I I do like the data, the metrics. It, It seems to you know, prove a case. And in the book, you share some of those statistics that you have found on our exposure to violence and war and why it becomes so hard to focus on something other than despair mm-hmm. with that bombardment. What, what's some of that data that you found when it comes to the information coming at us, particularly around war? 
Yeah, consider this disturbing statistic. The average person today processes as much as 74 gigabytes of information a day, the equivalent of 16 full-length movies being watched back-to-back-to-back. Per day? Per day. So think about it. Go back 500 years, and a well-educated person would have received 74 gigabytes of information in his entire lifetime. Wow. Mm -hmm. So 16 movies in a lifetime. A lifetime. Versus a day. A day. (laughs) Now, there's good and bad with that. Uh, But we are bombarded with information. Now, when it comes to war, uh, I'm a rhetoric professor. Rhetoric is public declarations. And when President Putin is rattling that nuclear saber, my students hear that. Like, hey, could World War III really happen? I think the world hears that. And is appropriately nervous. Mm -hmm. And at that point, as Christians, I think there's a double burden. Like, okay, what's God doing about this? Like, is he doing anything about this? Like, why doesn't he just step in? Why doesn't he he take out Putin? Or why, why doesn't he just defeat all the armies of Russia, like I've seen in the Old Testament? And I think all of those are legitimate questions. But in the book, I take a look at things like the Geneva Convention, which is a way of saying, listen, in light of the fact that war is going to happen, yeah, it would be great if we could get rid of war, but... Military historians tell us, boy, I tell you what, humanity and war have always been linked with each other. Mm -hmm. And as Christians, we shouldn't be surprised about that. Jesus said, yeah, there'll be wars and even rumors of war. So get used to it. In a fallen world, this is going to be part of your life. Now, some of you might be thinking, why doesn't God just get rid of it? Why try to manage it? Well, that goes back to one of the central points in the book is God is working for human partners, right? Could God take care of creation? Does he need the creation mandate of saying to Adam and Eve, I want you to be caretakers of the world? No, God can take care of his world that he created, but he delights in the fact that he works with human beings. Let me let me ask you, uh, keeping on with the war uh, analogy, uh, you tell a story about a soldier who invents the perfect solution to violence in war. What w- What was that? So one of the great gifts that God gives us is hypothetical thinking. We don't just think about what's happened. We can think about what could happen. So Ray Bradbury is one of the top science fiction masters. He wrote a great short story called A Piece of Wood. It's about a soldier who has made this invention that any weapon can be reduced to rust. So your sidearm, a missile, a helicopter. Quickly. Quickly. Like if he wants it to turn to rust, it turns to rust. And so he's sitting there talking to a general, and he says, so what do you think about that? The general goes, it doesn't make any difference. Get rid of all the weapons, and we'll bite each other to death. We'll attack each other with our hands. And so the soldier just looks at him, and he realizes getting rid of the weapons won't solve anything. You need to change the human heart. So it actually ends in a really cool way. Uh, The soldier gets up and walks out. And the general looks, and his sidearm has been reduced to rust. Mm -hmm. So now he grabs a chair, busts the chair made out of wood, and goes after the soldier with a piece of wood, thinking, I need to kill him or he's going to destroy all of our weapons. Bradbury's point is much like what God would want to communicate. Listen, I could get rid of all weapons, and hatred in the human heart is you'd be killing yourself and strangling yourself with human hands. What, do I get rid of all human hands? No, I need to deal with the heart. And so getting rid of weapons won't solve anything 
we need to deal with the human heart. And I think that's what's being writ large today is get rid of all nuclear weapons and we still would find a way to destroy the planet if we wanted to. I mean, these are really deep and, yeah. and important things to think about. And we're not yeah. always going to have the answers. It's not that clear in some of these spaces. Uh, many have come to believe that God is indifferent to war or even supports it as in the Old Testament. How many critics of the faith go to the Old Testament and all the deviance of the Old Testament, right? And they point out that, you know, God encouraged war and encouraged killing men, women, and children, etc. But what is God's response to violence and how, how does he convict us in our own sin when it comes to common grace? So he does two things simultaneously. He gives us a virtuous view of war, which again, hear very clearly from God. My desire is there would be no war. And by the way, in heaven, there will be no war. The first things will pass away. The new things will come. So he's eventually going to eradicate war. But in the world today, unless he gets rid of our free will, people can choose to go at war with each other. So God plants in our mindset what is war like if it was done virtuously? So Sun Tzu and the Art of War is one of the most referred to books by everybody. From, I've read it as a business book. Yes, though. as a business <laughs> book. Yeah. So it's, it's read everywhere. And Sun Tzu is amazing when he says, listen, the last thing you want to do is go to war. Uh, but if you do, a couple things. One, don't destroy the earth. Don't have a scorched earth policy because you're going to have to re-inhabit that. Second, offer people surrender. Give them a golden bridge that they can surrender. Once they do surrender, treat them kindly because you can convert them and they can actually become part of your community. So Sensu is like the last thing you ever want to do is go to war. He paints this vivid picture of what war can look like if it gets out of hand. So in the book, I reference this crazy song called 99 Red Balloons. Do you know this song? Yeah, I do. It was number one, both in German and in English. Mm. Uh, it, it's actually a true story. The guy who wrote the song went to a Rolling Stones concert uh, when Germany was still split east and west. And obviously they were in the West and a person lets go a red balloon and it floats over into East Germany. And he imagines, what if they pick that up on their radar and think this is an attack. And then they actually launch all their missiles based on this one red balloon. So it's this anti-war song that, that gives us forward thinking, listen, you better reel in the dogs of war, Julius Caesar, because once the dogs of war are unleashed, you might not be able to reel it back in. That's a gift of God, hypothetical thinking of how badly this can go. So he gives this virtuous idea of war, and then he plants in our minds apocalyptic literature that this whole thing can go south very easily. So be very careful. Mm. Big stuff uh, today on Focus on the Family with Jim Daly. That's Dr. Tim Muehlhoff. And uh, my goodness, how relevant this is. And Dr. Muehlhoff has captured much of what he's sharing today in a great book. It's called Eyes to See, Recognizing God's Common Grace in an Unsettled World. And uh, certainly we'd commend this book to you. Stop by our website. The link is in the show notes to get your copy. Or call us, 800-the-letter-A-and-the-word-family. Tim, let's talk uh, about civility or incivility, which we're seeing far more of that nowadays. It feels like to me, spiritually speaking, like a can of 
incivility has been popped open hmm. and the aroma is around the globe, you know, and we see it here in our cities. I, I saw a stat the other day, 87 percent of Americans have said that they no longer feel safe in public spaces. Eighty seven percent. That's amazing. Let, let, let me add to that statistic come from Pew Research. Ninety eight percent of Americans. Now, I want you to think about this in a time when it's really hard to get Americans to agree on anything. Ninety eight percent of us would say incivility is a threat to this country. Hmm. 68% would say it is at crisis levels. Hmm. So in addition to being a professor, I'm also the co-director of the Winsome Conviction Project, where we seek to reintroduce compassion, empathy, civility back into our very public disagreements. I would argue that each one of those is a God's common grace, empathy, civility, um, perspective taking. Uh, love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. Yeah, love <laughs> your neighbor. Let's go with that one. <laughs> so again, when it comes to communication, the book of Proverbs is amazing. I mean, my master's thesis, I used the book of Proverbs. I couldn't say it was the Bible. I had to say it was Jewish wisdom An literature. An ancient book of wisdom. <clears throat> An ancient book of wisdom. But but think of my favorite verse, uh, uh, Proverbs 18.21, life and death is in the power of the tongue. So almost like with war, he gives us, God gives us a positive um, vision of how communication can be used to impart life, but he equally gives us negative ideas of how this communication can really hurt people. And I think for us, we need to impart life, even in our disagreements, because we know how it profoundly changes people. And then be very careful, your words really hurt. But let me point out one really cool thing from the book. God didn't just give this to Christians. He gave this idea of life and death and the power of the tongue to everybody. So in my research, this is what I found out. If we go to Hindu mystics, if you take a look at the Vedas, you get this from the Vedas. Quote, words can comfort or hurt. It is our pride that makes us use words to hurt. Buddha, long before the book of Proverbs, said words have the power to both destroy and heal. Muhammad said, the most important word you can speak is a virtuous word. And Confucius said, without knowing the force of words, it is impossible to know more. Now think about Buddha just for a second. This is well before the book of Proverbs. So this is what Christian theologians say. God gave it to him via common grace. So he had no access to the book of Proverbs. So God gives him this idea, words can hurt Words can heal. And then later we get the inspired version in the book of Proverbs. So some people say, well, isn't it possible that was really Buddha and we borrowed? No, they weren't communicating with each other. God gave this great idea. Guys, watch your language. It can hurt and heal. And he gave it to Christians, Buddhists, Hindus, even atheists. I quote Sam Harris in the book. This is God saying to everybody, be very careful with your communication because it can do great harm, great good. I think that just shows God's graciousness that you don't have to be a Christian to get this wisdom. I'm giving it free to everybody. Now, sadly, everybody doesn't take advantage of it. Well, no, I mean, it sounds like a, a dad or a mom encouraging their children to be wise about their words, right? Mm, yeah. So it's the same yeah. concept. He is our heavenly father. In fact, uh, the story of Adam and Eve, you say in the book, teaches us the importance of communication. Now, in in the context of marriage, I think I get it. Now, what about Adam and Eve in their marriage bliss? <laughs> what, what were you driving at? Well, so they're given the creation mandate. 
I want, I want you to go out and I want you to care for this world. Now, immediately when God does that, he introduces science. Like, how, how do you care for this world? And Adam and Eve are going to have to work as partners to do this. That's communication. And don't take that for granted. Aristotle said, what really separates us from the animals is our ability to communicate with each other and, and talk about hypothetical thinking. Uh, I can talk about this coffee mug and I can talk about myself. That's very progressive forms of communication. So Adam and Eve, God said to them, you need to learn to talk to each other and I'm going to give you the skills to do that because I've got a whole world that I want you guys to impact creation mandate. Well, that very complex thinking of communication he's given to all of us. And sadly, we've kind of lost it today. Like we don't talk to each other. We don't. Well, you think you're the cup. You think you're the cup. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's, a, exactly. that's a problem. Yeah. But. And, and so God's saying, listen, be generous with each other. And by the way, can I just say, can I speak to the home team just for a second? <laughs> sure. What does Peter say? Peter says, listen, when insulted, think of today's argument culture, when insulted, I do not want you to insult. I want you to give a blessing. Hmm. At that point, Christians are like, yeah, no. I'm, you insult me, I'm insulting you back. And Peter is saying in 1 Peter chapter 3, that is not how Christians are supposed to do it. And then apologetically, give a reason for the hope that is in you with all gentleness and reverence. So fellow Christians, I'm sorry, God is saying, does this apply to everybody? Yes. They need an example and the example is the church. Yeah. And I don't know how well we're doing as an example, but I have high hopes that the upcoming generation is so tired of incivility today that they're really looking for counterexamples. And those counterexamples are found in the scriptures, book of Proverbs and common grace. Uh, most of the communication scholars I studied in my PhD program were not Christians, Yeah, but they had brilliant insight into conflict resolution, empathy. Yeah. yeah, it's a great challenge to go through the New Testament, particularly, and look for those scriptures. They're all over Second Timothy, Hebrews, Galatians, how what your temperament should be toward yes. people that offend you. And what's difficult in our current culture is I, in the church mm -hmm. specifically, I don't think we're being well trained on how to live up to that biblical standard. No. We're saying, you know, give me a weapon. <laughs> you know, yeah. I'm going to go fight. That's right. And that is not what it's about when you really, and really for those of you that feel uh, differently from that, I, I would really challenge you just read through the new Testament and look at the behavior that Jesus and the apostles are calling us toward. Mm -hmm. it, it, it's one of kindness. Yeah. And uh, man, it, this is going to be the big battle I think ahead within the church. Let me, for the sake of the content of your book, tower of Babel, so that's kind of an, a somewhat humorous story. They're getting along too well. So boom, I'm going to separate them, confuse them, give them all different languages to speak. <laughs> so here's the bummer with common grace. Every single good gift God gives can be used for good or can be used for bad. Let, let's talk dynamite real quick before we get to the Tower of Babel. Dynamite, Alfred Nobel, was created for agriculture to break up hard soil. Well, you better believe the military complex said, hmm, dynamite, 
awesome and went and took it. And today, dynamite is one of the most effective killing machines we've ever seen. But it originally was created for agriculture. Okay, let's take language. God wants language to bring us together, to work in harmony, to fulfill the creation mandate. And sure enough, just like dynamite, people are using communication to plot against God. Like they're actually organizing, which is a common grace, but they're doing it to usurp God. And God looks at this. And again, this is the same kind of way that he tries to control war. He goes, okay, this language thing, they've taken in ways that can be very harmful to the entire planet. I'm now going to put in a roadblock. I'm going to separate them. And language is going to be more difficult Um, By the way, still common grace. I mean, people who speak the same language can very quickly connect with each other and things like that. But he kind of put in this safeguard that now the languages are separated so that they can't easily come together and plot against God. Yeah, great example. You were in Kenya. I want to capture this before we end today, but you're in Kenya. What happened in Kenya? We often hear in America these miracles that do Mm -hmm. occur uh, abroad. But this is kind of unique. It has both a kind of a material solution, but it is a miracle. It, it is a miracle, and it's haunted me for years. So I was on staff with Campus Crusade for Christ, now called Crew, and we would go show the Jesus film, particularly in the poorest parts of Kenya, the Mathari Valley. And so what happens is they dropped off three teams. You're dropped off with your people. I was the team leader. A projector, a camera, a screen, and you're going to show the Jesus film. We're the first team dropped off. We were literally setting up the screen. Eventually, a thousand people would come. I mean, it was amazing. And we're right about to start the Jesus film. And a sophomore comes up to me and says, Tim, we don't have the connection cord from the projector to the generator. We, we can't turn this thing on. There are a thousand people sitting looking at us. Now, this is before cell phones. We're stuck in the literally in the middle of nowhere. So we're all sitting there. And Jim, I had given a devotion. The humor of God is amazing. (laughs) That morning, I gave a devotion. I promise you on Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, beyond all we ask or think. The sophomore, and I hate, don't quote me to me. And she says, well, Tim, based on that verse, let's pray and just turn on the projector. God does not need electricity. I looked at her and I promised her in my heart, I was like, that is the stupidest thing I have ever. No, of course I didn't do that. No. I, I said, yes, yes, let's hold hands. We surround the generator, the uh, projector, and this woman is praying and she is about to say amen. God, you don't need anything. You can show this film and we want to tell people about the gospel. And just as she's finishing, I hear an all-terrain vehicle flying down this dirt road because he dropped off the other two teams and had an extra court. And so he literally backtracks, goes goes to team three. They have it. Team two, oh, it's Mielhoff's. So now he's flying. And just as she says, amen, he literally drives by, lowers the window and throws it to me. <laughs> now, I was haunted by that for years because I honestly, truly wish he would have been a minute and a half later because hmm. that woman was about to say, amen, and we're going to turn this projector. Right. Now, if you ask me as a Christian who studies the Bible, Do you believe God could have done it? I am telling you, yes. Let me be really honest. Do I think it would have happened? 
probably no. Right? Because I'm a Westerner. Yeah. It doesn't work. Well, maybe a... even an Easterner might find well, that yeah, one. Maybe, a maybe an Easter. <laughs> but but we, we got the cord. We plugged that thing in. We showed the Jesus film. And I have my notes. A hundred people prayed to receive Christ that night. Yeah. Now, if you go back to the ancient church and you describe an all-terrain vehicle, a projector that transports images onto a screen and a generator that's connected by a cord, they're all going to sit there and go, well, those are all miracles. I mean, legit miracles. And so after writing this book, I'm less haunted by that story. I do believe God could have done it because I really do have a friend who has been physically healed. And he's been at Biola. He was going to go on medical disability. uh, And the man is 100% bona fide, physically healed. I've seen him do it. Now, I wish I saw more of that. I do believe he could have turned on that projector. But now I do look at the projector, the cord, the film. And I think, God, you, you showed up that night mm. and a hundred people came to faith. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. That's really good. Mm. Uh, right at the end here, Tim, last question um, for that person today who feels as though they are on the edge of despair. I mean, we've touched on that last time with your wife, Noreen suffering from cancer. Thankfully mm-hmm. she was healed um, through the doctors but that person listening, watching, they just don't see Jesus working. He's silent. Um, what would you say to them so that they don't walk away from their faith? There's nothing wrong with you. You are walking a path that the giants of the faith have walked. St. John of the Cross, dark night of the soul. We borrow that language all the time. St. John was in a dark night where he saw nothing of God. When C.S. Lewis's wife, Joy, died of cancer, and this is a man who wrote the book Miracles, um, he was never the same. His personal secretary later wrote about this and said, Lewis still hung on to the faith. He was never the same after that. So if you're sitting there thinking, I'm less than because I'm in this dark night of the soul and I don't see God, you just need to know, no, there's a company of Christians who have been exactly where you are. I would say this, don't suffer alone. Pull together some Christian friends. And I hope these are friends who aren't going to jump in and give a quick answer, but they will sit with you and pray with you. Mm. And if they're honest, they'll probably tell some stories yeah, I've been there. And maybe one will even say, I'm with you right now. And I so appreciate, Tim, the fact, as we talked about through these two days, that Jesus clearly said that he has overcome the world. Mm-hmm. And you could put many things, fear not, yeah. and don't be anxious. You know, there are going to be things that we can't explain in this life. But to hang on to your faith in Christ is what it's about. Yeah. And there's something so much better coming. And mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to that. Thanks for being with us. So appreciate this dialogue, this honest, raw uh, interaction about these deep questions of faith. And listen, turning to the viewer and the listener, uh, eyes to see. I mean, this is one of those spaces in your library that you're going to need a resource because either yourself or your teen kids or your college kids are going to be asking tough questions. Read it together with them. I certainly want to share it with Trent and Troy and, Mm -hmm. you know, make sure I'm doing the best I could do to to answer those questions. And you can get a copy. Join us in ministry. Make a gift of any amount. Do it monthly. Do it one time. Whatever. Uh, And we'll send a copy to you as our way of saying thank you. If you can't afford it, let us know. We'll get it into your hands. Trust others will cover the expense of that. Mm -hmm. And even beyond the book, we have so many other resources to help you in your spiritual walk. 
Uh, we might mention our counseling team. If you're stuck, if you're feeling, as, as Tim said, feeling alone in your suffering, reach out and speak with one of those counselors. Our number is 800, the letter A and the word family. Or uh, you'll learn more about our counseling team and the book and ways to partner with Focus on the Family in the show notes. On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for joining us today for Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller inviting you back as we once again help you and your family thrive in Christ. <music>